1: Welcome to the show. It's our first show in November. Is this year ever going quickly or what? Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Really grateful that you took the time out of your day to tune in. Uh, This is the Word to Stand on for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. Anything that you're going through, I'll do the best that I can to look at those questions and provide answers based on what the Bible tells us to do. All you have to do is Call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app using the hands-free feature on your phone. Um, You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. I love getting weekends started tonight here at Calvary Chapel. We have our Friday night Bible study, but I'm not going to be doing it tonight. I'm going to be here, but I'm not going to be doing it because I wasn't supposed to be here. I was supposed to be... uh, witness at a trial and it got done more quickly than I thought so Pastor Juan Ortiz is going to be teaching tonight uh, and you will be blessed you can watch that at calvarysa.com this is communion Sunday weekend the first Sunday of every month here at Calvary Chapel Um, it's always a privilege and an honor to be able to go to the Lord's table and partake of the elements that represent our faith. The, the whole of our faith are represented and this is a time where we can become one that's what communion means it's oneness with the Lord all over again it's a great thing to do to remember um, our job is to stay really really close to him I'll be teaching in Luke chapter 20 we're opening chapter 20 uh, this week and uh, I'm excited about these series of studies as Jesus now has uh, less than a week to live Uh, He is um, on his way to the cross to die for your sins and mine, and it's always important that we remember that. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. Oh yeah, I've just been reminded, time change on Saturday when you go to bed we get an extra hour of sleep. I could use it, I don't know about you. Uh, Here at Calvary Chapel, every time we change the clocks, because there are always people who don't change their clocks, Uh, this is our biannual pancake breakfast. We do it uh, uh, for, for many, many years. And it's always nice, instead of somebody finding out they're really late or really early, uh, they get here and there's a bunch of people having a pancake breakfast. So uh, we will be enjoying a pancake breakfast put on by our people here at Calvary Chapel. You are invited to join us for that as well. I think they actually stop serving the pancakes right uh, when second service starts. Yeah. So that's uh, 10.15 that starts, so probably 10 o'clock they'll stop, start serving. That, that just means that people that come to third service don't get any pancakes unless they come early and then they come back. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. Um, Our first question comes from Nacho from our email inbox and his question is this besides 144,000 are Christians in the tribulation sealed Uh, and my question is about Revelation chapter 9 verse Um, 4 no the Christians in the tribulation are not sealed they're not protected let me sort of give a little bit of background in this verse Uh, verse 4 in Revelation 9 says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree but only those people who who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, this is a really, really strange uh, passage of Scripture uh, because he's not talking to uh, an an enemy army. He's talking to literal locusts. There's going to be this horde of locusts. This is um, the fifth angel of the the trumpet judgment, and uh, they are going to absolutely destroy... um, the rest of the world. Now, in these particular locusts, um, these are locusts who were given the power to sting. Um, They were given the power, uh, it says in verse 3, like that of a scorpion of the earth. Um, It's a reminder uh, of the eighth plague on Egypt, the plague of real locusts. These are not literal or real locusts. This is a demonic horde that's being compared to locusts. Now remember, John is seeing things that he can't possibly understand. So he is describing what he sees as best he can. And so when this demonic horde is sort of let loose over the earth, um, um, he's seeing what looks to him like uh, um, um, an outbreak of locusts and he compares it to that. So, um, these are a demonic horde these demons are being held captive waiting for the very moment that Revelation chapter 9 talks about and their purpose is to destroy and to torment now um, these demons have one target, people uh, real locusts eat grass and, and, and leaves and they just take everything off the vegetation um, but these demons target just people, uh, it's clear in this passage, Nacho, that 144,000 witnesses have already been sealed and they're protected by God and they're also then protected from this attack, but not so with all of the others. It's also important to understand that when we talk about people in the Great Tribulation, uh, all of the people who are Christians in the Great Tribulation uh, became Christians in the Great Tribulation. Uh, The ministry of 144,000, is that effective? Uh, The ministry of Moses and Elijah at the western wall uh, and people are going to believe they're going to see the end of Christ uh, the the Holy Spirit is going to open their eyes and they're going to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in fact so great will be this revival it'll be the by far the greatest revival in the history of the world but it's going to cost all of those people their lives they're going to be martyred we see them in Revelation chapter 5 opening the passage of scripture under the altar of God crying out how long O God until you avenge our lives and and he said just wait the time is not yet but that time will soon come so uh, people are not protected Uh, one of the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ before the great tribulation is that you're going to go through the great tribulations the time of God's judgment on this world and the consequences then uh, cannot be escaped even by people who give their life to Jesus so think about that for a moment. There's another thing kind of eerie about this uh, where one day after Halloween, uh, these demonic horde of locusts uh, were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. Can you imagine being stung by a scorpion over and over and over and over for five months? The pain would be so horrible but the sixth verse in Revelation chapter 9 says, During those days men will seek death, but they'll not find it. They'll long to die, but death will elude them. What that means literally is that, that they're going to be trying to kill themselves, and yet Jesus, who is the commander of all the spirit world, won't let the spirits leave the body. Imagine somebody trying to kill themselves with a gun or hang themselves or something just to escape this horrible, horrible torment. Um, but, but their spirit's going to stay there. They're going to be alive and they can't die. That's how bad things are going to be during the great tribulation. Now, the reason I said that is because what I want to do is appeal to all of you, to every single one of you to ask Jesus Christ into your heart before it's too late. He could come at any moment. Might be today, probably won't be, but it might be today and we need to be ready. Good question, Nacho. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Margaret. Uh, She says, Are women allowed to teach a Bible study where men are present? I'm thinking of a home study, not in a church. Margaret, yeah, I I don't believe there's any prohibition over a woman teaching in a home Bible study. The command is, uh, the context of the passage is, order in the church. And, and while we are the church's people, he's talking about the organized gathering together of the church body. So uh, I would think in a home Bible study where there's a bunch of people around and um, a woman is chosen to, to, to teach, um, she's not trying to exercise authority. She's not pretending to be a pastor. Uh, women have as much to offer uh, men as men have to offer women. So I think that would be completely acceptable. Um, uh, the only prohibition, and I've studied this subject um a lot uh i think the only prohibition is being a teacher in a church setting having authority over men that means a pastor Uh, a woman cannot usurp the position of pastor um and and the reason is simple god said there's no other reason he's not saying that women aren't smart they're not spiritual He's not even saying that they're not better communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's simply saying that this was a consequence of the fall. 2nd uh, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter 2 is as clear as it can be on this. And yet, Margaret, we constantly get people uh, who are trying to, to, to sort of buck that one restriction. So uh, I know I talked about this on Wednesday's program. No, not on Wednesday, on Thursday's program a little bit uh, about women teaching. Um, But um, uh, uh, in a home Bible study, um, a mother with her family, even if the kids are grown, um, uh, a woman whose husband won't do it. Uh, Certainly, women are allowed to teach a Bible study that men are present. Good question. That's important. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Chuck. He says, Pastor, on what is your opinion on church building project projects and continuous appeals for money? Um, Chuck, I don't know if I'm being set up here or not. But I think most people, uh, certainly everybody who comes to our church knows, but people who listen to this program ought to know by now. Um, I don't think that people ought to be asked for money. Period. That's my view. Uh, I know that I am in an extreme minority. Um, our command here at Calvary Chapel by the Lord is that we're not never, we're never to let our needs be known we're never to ask for money now hey i got to tell you Chuck we need money but we're never to let our needs be known and we're never to ask people for money we don't even pass an offering plate or a bucket or anything else uh, in church uh, we just let people know that their offering box is located in the back of the sanctuary and outside in the foyer Uh, for those who want to joyfully uh, give to the Lord and and, and God blesses them. Um, Building projects. Um, You know, the church belongs to everybody. Uh, Not just the pastor, not just the leaders of the church, but uh, the church belongs to everybody. We've got here at Calvary Chapel uh, um, a, a small facility, but we have a lot of people. Uh, Probably upwards of 1,500 adults that that call Calvary Chapel of San Antonio their home church. Um, And, and, you know, if we were building something, um, I I don't think necessarily that there's anything wrong with informing your people about uh, a building project. Um, and letting them know of the need, letting them know what the cost is. I just think that's being transparent. Uh, but when you get into the continuous appeals for money over and over and over, when we put up like thermometers with a goal over the top kind of thing uh, in a sanctuary and we keep appealing for, for money, I, I think that's where it crosses the line. I personally wouldn't be comfortable in church and ask for money. Again, I, I realize I am in a minority here. Uh, But for me, it's not even an issue because the Lord, from the very beginning, this is over 24 years, has been really, really clear that we're never to ask for money, we're never to let our needs be known. I wish more people in their churches would function that way, trusting the Lord. I, I think it's built my faith considerably because as we go through really, really difficult times, we've seen over and over... the the hand of God move on our behalf. And if my hand is moving on my behalf, then God doesn't have to. So the idea here is, uh, let's just go to the only source for money, go to God. Uh, I can make people feel guilty for not giving enough. I can make people aware of my needs or the church's needs in such a way uh, as to imply some pressure on them, make them feel a little bit guilty. Um... If they don't give, um, but that's, be giving begrud- or that's giving begrudgingly or, or under compulsion. And Paul is very clear about not doing that. Let me go one place you didn't ask, Chuck. I, I feel the same way about uh, the, the, the Christian television and radio programs uh, that so much of the time, I and mean, we don't get very much time. Our teaching programs, this program is an hour, but our teaching programs, uh, we get about 26 minutes Um, with the intro, the outro, with commercials that come after in a half hour, we get about 26 minutes. Now, 26 minutes, do I want to use that teaching the Word of God? Or do I want to use that asking people to to buy my book or to to buy uh, something that would um, help support the ministry? I heard, uh, we got in the car this morning, Paul and I did, and on a radio program, uh, the announcer broke in and said, you know, uh, if you want to keep this program on the air in your area, you need to call us right now with with a, a free gift, uh, and and I just thought, you know, if God doesn't want the program on the air, why would we solicit money from people if God wants it on the air, and he's the one that provides. And uh, we've been faithful. We haven't been on the radio for all 24 years, but we've been on the radio for 20 of those years, and we haven't spent one minute of our airtime asking people for money. So Chuck, that's my opinion on church building projects and the pastors, and there are pastors that listen to this program. Uh, The pastors who disagree with me are angry right now. Well, how else are we going to pay for it? I think that's what faith is all about. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I'd love to close the week with lots of phone calls. Here's a question from Jason. He says, I recently heard a Bible study on the hierarchy in the Trinity. Does that mean Jesus is less than the Father and the Holy Spirit less than Jesus? Uh, Jason, it doesn't mean that at all. There is a structured hierarchy, but it isn't a subservient hierarchy. By that I mean... Uh, it's not Jesus can't do anything unless the Father says and the Holy Spirit can't do anything unless Jesus gives it's not that kind of heart there's no competition there's no tension between Father, Son and Spirit and to imply that Jesus is less than the Father or the Holy Spirit is less than Jesus or even that the Holy Spirit is less than the Father is to miss the the whole point all three persons of our one God are all God they share the same attributes, they have exactly the same power, and so the hierarchy is more uh, practical than something that we should look at as the way we would see it on earth as, well, Jesus can't do anything without the Father's approval. No, because they work in complete harmony. Jesus said that their unity was such that from the, from before the foundations of the world, and, and he prayed that that unity would be in his body of believers. So uh, there is a hierarchy, but the hierarchy has to do with ministry function. Then we try to explain, and then we'll go on to something else. Um, The whole world wants to know who God is. God, if you're out there, reveal yourself to me. Well, he did in the person of Jesus Christ, because God lives in unapproachable light, according to the Apostle Paul. There's no way we could approach that light. And we can't see God and live. So Jesus took on humanity so that um, we can see who God is. Jesus told Philip, when um, Jesus just sort of made it clear that he was going to die. But it's okay, he told him. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also me. Philip said, well, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus looked at Philip. He said, Philip, have I been with you for so long and you still do not know? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So the only way we could see God is through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Both Colossians and Hebrews, in their opening chapters, uh, set Jesus apart as the exact representation of God, the image of God. If God the Father looked in a mirror, the reflection he would see would be that of Jesus Christ. So um, they're completely equal, um, but Jesus came to reveal the Father because there's no way we could approach the Father. Well, in the same way, Jesus, when he was leaving his disciples, he said, it's good for you that I go away. Now, it doesn't mean that they believed him, but he said, when I go, I will send another me, and that's the literal Greek, of the same substance. The Greek word is alos of the same substance just different in physicality I will be in you Christ in his hope of glory so the Holy Spirit who is fully God is the way that Jesus can live in us and relate to us it's how we can walk by the power of God each and every minute of every day And so the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. He testifies about Jesus. He never testifies of himself. So it's really important that we get that. It does not uh, imply uh, an inequality of any type. It's just a practical, uh, ministry-focused distinction between them. I call it a willing hierarchy. Remember, Jason, there's never any competition um, between the Father, Son, and Spirit. I get questions from time to time about, well, who should we pray to, the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes, we should pray to them all. They're completely God, and they're not keeping track to see who gets more attention than the other. It's we humans who do that, not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's a question from Jack, and we're running out of time for this first half of the program. Jack says, what is meant by being made in the image of God? Um, Jack there's two things it certainly doesn't mean that we look like him or we're the same substance we know that's not the case but what it means is that um, we are made with the ability to choose just like God chooses we choose Um, the evidence uh, is presented we choose whether or not we're going to serve him in the same way we know he chooses us so we've got that commonality the other thing that is meant, and I think this is the primary thing Jack meant by being made in the image of God. God is eternal, and we are, from the time that we are conceived in the womb, we are eternal. We're going to live somewhere forever. And that's why life is so important. You know, this life is 70 or so years, the Bible generalizes. Uh, that's, that's the time that we have to make the decision where we're going to spend forever. So it's not like people say, well, why would God make somebody who's destined to hell? He didn't. He made humans with the capacity to choose. And we have to choose because we're going to live somewhere forever. We're going to live with God and we're going to live without or or separate from God. One we call heaven, one we call hell. And yet we have the choice because we're going to live somewhere forever. So, Jack, I think that's really important. It doesn't mean all this nonsense that people make it, especially those who are cynics or or what I call liberal Christians in the sense that they don't hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. They kind of make up their Jesus as they go along. Uh, it doesn't mean that that every human belongs to God. It doesn't mean that we have the right to make any claims on God. All it means... Is it like God, we have the, the capacity to choose, we have to make that choice, and that choice is about where we're going to live forever. Everybody starts out from scratch, we're going to live somewhere forever, we have to choose. I hope that makes sense too, Jack, and I wanted to go, I was a little redundant there, but I really wanted that to make sense too, because this is a, something that is really misunderstood over and over. You know, uh, I was talking to our church. We were in uh, Isaiah. We are in Isaiah on Wednesday nights. And by the way, next Wednesday night is going to be one of the most important studies uh, from my perspective in all of Isaiah. So uh, tune in if you can. Um, But but, somebody was saying, well, you made the image of God. Well, I'm about his height if he was the average Jewish size of the time. But other than that, just like him, I get to choose. Thanks for the question. We've got... 30 minutes left in the week, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor KSLR at gmail.com. That's KSLR at gmail.com.
0: How many churches do you think they are in San Antonio? This is Marcus Burgos, Director of Ministry Development for Salem San Antonio. The answer is one. One church, one Lord, one faith, one God, according to Ephesians 4. I am so happy to present to you the Church of San Antonio. Tonight at 730, you'll hear from Pastor John Anamiki and from Bethel Covenant Church, the Church of San Antonio on AM 630, the Word. The following program has been pre-recorded.
2: One
0: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
1: welcome back to the program for the first time this week our phones have been quiet today 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here is a question from emily She says, how should I respond to someone who asks why we believe Christianity is better than other religions? Now, Emily, I could take the whole half hour. I won't, but I could take the whole half hour on this. Um, The the answer, in short, is because Christianity is true. Now, we live in a time, and, and every one of us, we're aware of this, where people have their own truth. Well, my truth is different than your truth. There's only one truth. By definition, the word truth is mutually exclusive. Two contrasting things cannot both be true. That's very important for us to understand. So Christianity is true. The other religions are false. That's why it's better. I can have my hope in Allah. I can have my hope in Buddha. Uh, I can have my hope in sort of a new age little G God out there somewhere. But that hope won't pay off when it comes time... to meet Him. Every knee will bow... and every tongue confess... Paul writes... that Jesus Christ is Lord... to the glory of God the Father. Now, when we make that confession, Emily... for some of us... it's going to be... the most wonderful moment in history. We bow before Him... and celebrate... who He is and what He's done. But for those who reject Him... those who believe in other gods... or other religions... Um, they're going to bow down in terror because they they know they're going to be judged. So Christianity is better than other religions because it is true and they are false. Every one of them is false. Now, how do we know that? I think that's the better question. How do we know that? Well, we know it because of the undeniable evidence of an empty tomb. No other religious leader said he was going to die and then come back to life, only Jesus. And Jesus was crucified. We all know the story, but it's not just a story. It's history. He lived for 30 plus years. He died unjustly. They put him in a tomb and he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And we're told that he lives now at the right hand of God, living to make intercession for us. So the idea here is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ sets apart Christianity from all other religions as being true. And if it's not true, it is of no value. This isn't an emotional issue. This is a logical, practical issue. It is just that one effort or one uh, category, dealing with truth. And there can only be one. Good question, Emily. Thank you. Finally, a phone call. Let's go to San Antonio, Texas, and talk with Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for bailing us out. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, you know, I've always been kind of baffled by the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in that in the old testament the Holy Spirit would fall on somebody and, and I guess they, they would know, you know, that, that was the Holy Spirit and it was helping them. And then in the New Testament we have the Holy Spirit like inside of us, living in us. And then as I was thinking about it, it was kinda like when you walk outside in the rain and let's say it's pouring down rain and if you stay out there long enough you're gonna get drenched and you're gonna know that the rain, you know, is is getting you wet But if you go inside and let's say you're thirsty and you drink a gallon of water, all that water goes in you and you know, you know that that water is feeding you and and you know nourishing you. And and I'm wondering if is that kind of like what it's like between the old and the new? And by the way, I know that the Lord takes care of you when you and mama Paula are out on the west coast, but I still breathe a sigh of relief as soon as you get back safe here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank, I'll thank you, to Cindy.
2: On, okay, I'll listen on the
1: radio. You're so kind. Thank you. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think the analogy, Cindy, works. Um, and let me explain why. Um, you're right, of course, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. But he also falls upon us. There are three Greek words in the New Testament that, that characterize our relationship with God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first is the Greek word para. We would use the English word with. He comes alongside us. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. So uh, we can all go back to that time before we were saved and we were doing things that we knew were wrong, but it didn't really bother us. And one day, all of a sudden, because the Holy Spirit came alongside us, we knew something was wrong. I remember, Cindy, like it was yesterday, thinking, why am I bothered by this? I've been doing this Every day, why suddenly now do I feel bad about it? I, I didn't have an answer. I didn't know anything about the Lord, so I didn't know that the Holy Spirit was sort of uh, doing His work, of convincing me that I was a sinner and, and convincing me even further that, that He had the answer. So that's the first relationship we have. The second relationship we have is when He comes in us, in us, I n in the English, but the Greek word is e n in, and and when that happens e n, uh, he comes in us. Jesus happens every time somebody gives their heart to Jesus Christ when they're born again. The Spirit of God comes to live in us. But the third Greek word um, is the one that I think answers your question. It's the word epi e p i in Greek and that's when he falls upon us in power and the trigger for that Cindy is always the, 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 the um, obedience of the Christian when we're obedient to what God tells us he empowers us to do what it is he's asked us or qualified us to do he doesn't ask me to do something because I can do it in my own strength but he empowers me to do it because he knows in my own strength I can't do it so he comes up on us in power now in the Old Testament the Old Testament saints only had that last experience he would come upon and then, then he would depart um, when David says take not thy Holy Spirit from me uh, in his Psalms of repentance uh, he's not bad doctrinally he, he understands that th- there were times when the Spirit would come upon him and he could do all things Um, but when the Spirit departs, he was like anybody else in power. Samson is a perfect example. Samson wasn't a big, buff, strong guy. Samson's strength came from the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, and yet he quenched the Spirit over and over and over in his life. Um, So the, the idea is that God used them in spite of their sinfulness, in spite of their imperfections, he used them to help them accomplish what they were called to do. And in, in the Old Testament um, scenario, that was to, to protect the people of Israel. David was the king of Israel. Uh, they needed... Uh, it's, it's a completely different relationship. And I say this often, Cindy, that uh, our relationship with God is so intimate that every Holy Spirit or every, every uh, Old Testament saint would exchange places with us in a minute. In a minute, if we give them the opportunity. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Trina calling from San Antonio. Trina, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hi, Pastor, thank you so much for taking my call and your mm-hmm. ministry. Um, I love what you and Paula are doing. Um, thank you, I'm going to go really quickly. Yes, I'm going to go really quickly because I have, like, a lot to sum up that's been going okay. on, something in my family, and then I'm going to hang up and listen to your response. So okay. um, I've heard you speak many times on the whole issue of um, the Hebrew, um, the, the black... I, black hebrews um people that believe they're the original um people of of god um i am black and so i have i totally think it is a terrible thing it's racist it's unfounded so my question is my brother-in-law who has been for years born again believer he and my sister he has totally Denounce God, denounce the faith, he got on YouTube and found some, he's Uh, listing the garbage on there he's mean to my sister he's uh, all of their adult children have pretty much turned away from him because of the foolishness of this belief. my sister Mm -hmm. is trying to hang on to her marriage which is in jeopardy now because she's born again believer and he believes only black people are going to heaven Mm -hmm. we've tried to talk to him it becomes an argument um so we've all decided in our family that we won't discuss it anymore with him So I want to—my sister is hanging on to the belief that because he was saved, that if something should happen to him, he will die and go to heaven, despite the fact that he's totally denounced the God that we know, the Holy Spirit, won't let us mention the name of Jesus around him, and— I just, I want to help her. I don't want to tell her to leave him, but her marriage is horrible now, and he's Mm. impossible to be around. So we're praying for him, and um, I just... I'm not looking for an answer in whether I know that stuff is is total hogwash but I just don't know how to help her and mm-hmm. um and I and I want to give her some guidance too because I know it's comforting to her to believe that if he dies because he was saved that he will go to heaven despite his answers his um, beliefs now. So I'll hang up pastor and listen to your response. Thank you so much.
1: Yes. Tarina, thank you very much. It's very well put uh, a couple of things. First, you talked about being racist and shameful and hateful and all those things. The worst thing about the black Israelite movement is that it's heretical. It is a lie um, disguised as a truth. And, and that's heresy and, and, um, um, heretics are not going to go to heaven. It's that simple. Uh, the other thing I would say, the, the best way, now, th- this is the way I always approach things. The best way to help somebody in that situation is to be realistic with them about the circumstances. For, for your sister to think or to have some false hope that if something happens to this guy, um, he's going to, because he once gave his life to Jesus Christ, um, so he's going to be in heaven, I think it's a disservice. I think the best way to pray for somebody is to do it realistically. If I've got a kid, now I love my sons, i got one son that's saved and another one that's not, uh, but I don't pray for my unsaved son the way I pray for my saved son. And, and I think for your sister to hold on to this hope uh, that, well, if something would happen to him, then he's going to give his life to Jesus uh, or he'll be taken to heaven. Uh, I don't think that is helping her pray effectively or accurately for his soul. He is lost. First John chapter two, verse 19. They went out from us uh, to demonstrate that they were never really a part of us. People that go off into these heresies uh, might have had an experience with Jesus Christ. But they didn't meet him. They didn't really know him. And the reason we know that is because if they knew him, they wouldn't walk away. And I'm not talking about an occasional backsliding into sin. I'm talking about a doctrine that completely changes the nature and the character of who he is. I wouldn't, if I had a Mormon uh, family member, I wouldn't tell them, you know, I'm hopeful that you're going to go to heaven. I would tell them that if they die today, they're going to spend eternity in hell and I'm going to be praying for them. I think there's another way you can help her, and I think the Holy Spirit will use this, and that's by um, telling her to take a stand for Jesus in her home. It's perfectly okay for a Christian wife to disagree with her husband, especially in an issue like this, and when he would say to me, uh, or if the situation reversed, Paula, who's black, if she said to me that, that, well, you know, only black people are going to be... In, in in heaven, my response to her would, Paula, you need to repent, that's simply not true. If she would tell me that I can't share the name of Jesus, I would tell her the same thing that, that Peter was uh, said to, to his captors, um, you you decide whether it's right to do what is right in the eyes of God or in the eyes of men. Uh, This is a place where uh, without being aggressive or being unkind or certainly without being mean, she needs to say, look, this is our house. You and I are married. We own this house. That means Jesus owns this house. And so if you tell me not to talk about Jesus, I'm simply not going to do it. And, And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, he needs to see how important her Jesus is to her. It's got to be the real Jesus, though. And if he sees that, the Holy Spirit will use that in answer to your prayers. And we'll find out if he was ever really a believer if he comes back to the Lord. But but the worst thing you can do right now is just assume, or for her to assume, that because he once said yes to an altar call or had an experience with Jesus that was emotional... That, well I hope he's going to go to heaven I think she needs to tell him what I tell people in my family I tell them look I can't imagine heaven without you and right now if you die you're going to hell so I'm going to keep sharing Jesus with you I'm going to keep loving you I'm going to keep submitting to your leadership in so far as it doesn't violate this, this whole nature and character of God uh, but you cannot tell me you cannot tell me not to share the name of Jesus with you, because I'm going to do it and I'm praying for you all the time. The other thing I would do is disconnect YouTube. Trina, there's so much junk there. There's so much junk there. And this is what happens when people who really uh, don't do their own studying. No, fine, I've got the rise of universalism because of YouTube. I've got the Black Israelite Movement, um, um, and it is a shame. So, Trina, I'll be praying for your sister. The way to help her, though, is to be really direct in love. Your sister knows you love her. I would add one thing because it just occurred to me you said that he was very mean to his wife Uh, she needs to tell him to stop in the name of Jesus you need to stop being mean to me and if you will not stop being mean then God's going to deal with you it's that simple again I'm not saying she should leave God doesn't want her to leave but at the same time if she takes a stand for Jesus and then the unbeliever leaves then she's free and I think that matters a great deal Trina, thanks for caring so much. Keep praying for him. Don't give up on him. But at the same time, it's got to be because of your stand for the real Jesus, not because you acquiesce to his demands not to speak in that name. And you know what? If you speak in the name of Jesus, you share Jesus with him, and he gets angry and gets ugly, just say, you know what? I'm not going to take that. You know the truth. I'm going to leave now because I'm not going to stand here and be abused by you. I'd also look at him and say, you know, I used to know you when things weren't like this. What happened to you? What did Paul say to the Galatians? Oh, foolish Galatians, you are running such a good race. Who cut in on you? That's what he's saying. What happened to you? And I think, Trina, that's where we have to take our stand. I'll be praying for it. Keep me posted if you would. Appreciate your call. Let's go to Jeff calling online, too, from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
4: Hey, helping to bail you out, Pastor Ron. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I'm up in Kerrville today, and uh, I drove by Calvary Chapel Hill Country. And uh, so I I tooted the horn. You know, I'm like, hey, look, there's Calvary
1: Chapel.
4: (laughs) (laughs) In Kerrville. No, my my heart goes out to that last caller, Trina. What a
1: Yeah, those are hard things. What
4: a... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad you were Would talking you, this, uh, earlier. guest
1: yes, Pastor. i, I just going to say, you, you've heard me say a lot that we need to spend more time in our Bibles than we do on, online. And uh, this is the kind of tragedy that happens um, um, every time um, people aren't in the Word, but instead being influenced by these demonic presences on on uh, YouTube and the other platforms. By the way, uh, Pastor Max Green is the, the pastor in Kerrville, and uh, he's a great guy. Great guy. So if you're ever up there on a Wednesday or a Sunday, stop by and give him a hug for me.
4: I sure will, but I, I want to be in Universal City before I have actually <laughs> have Bible study at, at Kerrville. But, um, no uh, blessings to, to Pastor Max. Um, I, I'm I'm so glad you were talking about uh, what you what you heard this morning on the radio when you and Paul were driving in because that really it it really burns my spirit. Uh, and another thing, I wanted to ask you about this last week. but I thought maybe it's kind of a dumb comment, but all these national pastors that that say let's go on a cruise and we've got this. You know, great worship leader, and you can come see the wonderful fjords of Alaska, and we can spend time together on a cruise. And it's just what 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 gets me about that is like, well, it's it's a very limited amount of people that can go, and only people with plenty of money that can go. <laughs> and and and, cru- and cruises are are gluttonous. I mean, you have yeah. it's complete luxury. And I think of all the money that could be funneled into ministry for what's spent on one luxurious cruise with with a, with a nationally known pastor.
1: Yeah. And
4: I, I wanted to, just wanted to ask you to comment yeah, on that.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll come, I'll comment on that. Okay.
4: Uh, I'll, also, you have seen so many trends uh, as your commitment through Calvary Chapel. Um, would you comment on things like uh, Alpha Alpha Church and uh, and small groups? And I'll take your comments off the air. Thank you, Pastor. Love
2: you. Okay. Have a great week.
1: Thank you, Jeff. I'm going to take a phone call because we're running out of time, and I'll get to your question uh, or your, I'll comment on your question right after. Let's go to Leanne on line one. Leanne, thanks for holding your on the air. Leanne, did we lose you? Oh, we lost Leanne. Okay, Jeff. We just we we lost her. Leanne, maybe you can call back on the program Monday morning. Um, Jeff, a couple of things. Free free cruises. Um, you know, when I say free cruises, they're not free to the people who go. Uh, in every one of those cruises, there's only one who goes free, and that's the pastor and his wife. Uh, it's amazing how creative we can be to have other people pay for our vacations. Now, I'm not anti-vacation, I'm not anti-fun, I'm not even anti-eating, uh, you know, um, um, I wish Christians were more aware, but uh, the idea is that these trips, whether it's a trip to Israel, you know, as a pastor, I could travel free anywhere. I mean, if I if I want to take my church to Israel, um, they'll they'll give me and Paul a trip for free, all I got to do is get people in our church to sign up. That just doesn't make any sense to me. It, it it just seems a little deceptive to me, and I know for sure. I know for sure that that the pastors who do it love the Lord, but. I just think it's become something we do because that's what other people do, and we're not really even thinking prayerfully about it. Now, can good things happen on a cruise? Of course they can. We can have Bible studies, and we can do those things, and and I think that's great, but um, I think if you're going to go, the pastor ought to pay. It's that simple. And they just don't pay for these things because um, they they provide... um, Free fare for a pastor who will have a big crowd who will come on to the cruise line. So it's just something that that I think uh, is is um, a little bit deceptive. I don't think we ought to be. By the way, Jeff, the the uh, the the teacher who said that today on the radio when Paul and I were were leaving the house is a wonderful Bible teacher. There's never been a hint of scandal in his life. He has been above reproach uh, for as long as he's been in ministry, which is certainly longer than I've been in ministry. And his ministries have been fruitful and and ultra-honoring to the Lord. But I think you get this blind spot. This is just the way business is done. And it's easier to depend on people to provide, people to support rather than just waiting for the Lord. I've got to tell you, there's times we're waiting on the Lord to provide for us, and uh, He just doesn't come fast enough for us. And it's those times I've got a choice to make. Am I going to wait on God, or am I going to try to take matters into my own hands? And the problem for me, Jeff, is that if I take matters into my own hands by asking for money, then, then Jesus is going to let me carry it, and that kind of burden would kill me. It would absolutely kill me. So I just think it's it's a matter of faith, and uh, I think pastors need to to ask the Lord, what, what do you want me to do, rather than just doing what everybody else on the radio does. Good questions. Hey, we are done for the week. It is Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Remember to turn your clocks back uh, an hour and get an extra hour of sleep. We're going to be having our pancake breakfast. Here at Calvary Chapel, Pastor Juan Ortiz will be teaching tonight, and he'll be a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll see you on Monday on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.